I hope as we've been moving through this series entitled Circle Maker, that you have determined that you're not going to miss out on what God is doing in the life of this church, life of our community. And I trust that you have made a determination in your heart and life that you are going to be a person of prayer. And if you've already been that person, that it's going to intensify, that, that your life is being challenged and renewed and transformed, and that you're, you're exploring new ways to talk and listen to God. Heard many testimonies already of changed lives, changed prayer patterns, of seeing God at work. I've experienced some of that myself. And so we're going to continue to talk very specifically about prayer and how prayer can alter our lives and how prayer can touch the heart of God. We're going to talk about Genesis prayers today, about prayers that begin with something that God has laid on your heart or God has shown you that needs to happen, the beginning point of a great event or miraculous event in your life. And we're going to talk about how these prayers are thwarted oftentimes by spiritual warfare, how the devil is alive and active. Anybody here know the devil? Come on, we're in church. The devil gets in here and he'll work harder on you if you lie in church. You know, I don't think most of you mean to lie. I just don't think you like to lift your hand. Like, you know, you're not really, maybe you didn't hear exactly what I said. You're not sure whether to vote yes or no. The devil's alive and well. And then we're going to talk about that moment in your life when that prayer comes to be, when the answer comes, when there's a breakthrough. So Genesis prayers, spiritual warfare, and a breakthrough. I want you to write something down, kind of a foundational thought. Uh, It is important that you understand, and I use the word rules, but a better word, if, if you can write this word, is principles. It's important for you to understand the principles slash rules of prayer and the nature of spiritual spiritual warfare. If, If you don't understand what God's doing, what the devil's doing, how to change God's heart, how to talk to him in such a way that your prayers get answered, then you're going to miss out on a lot. And if you don't understand spiritual warfare, there's a pretty good chance you're going to go up in flames. Amen? So we're going to begin talking about Genesis prayers. I understand, but I wasn't alive then, but back in 1851, and and every once in a while Dr. Booth will tell me about what happened back then, but uh, there was a lady whose name was Harriet Beecher Stowe. Heard that name? And what you may not have known is that she was a preacher's kid. You ever notice that the best people in the world are preacher's kids, by the way? Amen? (laughs) Harriet Beecher Stowe was a preacher's kid. Her father, probably the most famous orator, a preacher of his time. Her brother, uh, uh, Henry Ward Beecher, maybe you've heard of him. Great, great evangelist and preacher. She was part of that family. And so it's no accident that one Sunday morning she was in church. And on this particular Sunday morning, uh, 
was a communion service. And while she was sharing in communion with the congregation, God placed a vision in her head. I dare say that any of us or many of us who've been pray who've been praying at times have just seen something or felt something or experienced something so powerful in that time of prayer that you want to act on it. And here's what Harriet Beecher Stowe did. She ran home from church and she got out a piece of paper and a pencil and she started to write about that vision. And, and as you've probably already guessed, the vision was of, of this old, bedraggled, beaten down African-American slave who was being whipped once again by his master. And so she wrote and she wrote. She wrote so long that she ran out of paper and started writing on brown grocery bags. We couldn't do that in our day of plastic, could we? And, and what came from her writings that day was published a year later under the title of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And that book was so powerful in its image, so intense, so dramatic, that it began to sell and sell and sell until practically every home in America had that book on its bookshelf. And and the people of the north were stirred up to such a place that later the Civil War began. Now, you're saying, didn't Abraham Lincoln and some others have a hand in that? When Abraham Lincoln, honest Abe, met Harriet Beecher Stowe in 1863, he shook her hand and said, here's the little lady that started this great war. My friends, that's a Genesis prayer, isn't it? That's a prayer that became something powerful. That's a prayer, a vision that literally shaped America. That's a prayer that set millions of people free. Free. And I believe that God allows us that same power in prayer. I believe God places something on your heart. I believe He will today if you'll listen. I believe God will plant something in your mind. God will just allow you to see something, to feel something so powerfully, something that may need to happen in your life or in the life of our church, something that may need to happen in a friend's life or family members. And God causes you to see the need to launch something, to pray about something that you've never prayed about before, a Genesis prayer. Daniel had that experience, and and as he writes in in, in Daniel chapter 10, he talks about God laying something on his heart. He talks about wanting to see something uh, so that he can know where God wants him to do, go and, and do what God wants him to do. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was made plain to Daniel, whose Babylonian name was... I don't know, big, big word here. The message was true. It dealt with a big war. He understood the message and the understanding coming to him by revelation. What's revelation? God speaking, God demonstrating, God making something clear. During those dan- days, I, Daniel, went into mourning over Jerusalem. What's he saying there? He was burdened and broken and intense emotion. 
You know, I don't know that our prayers ever really are what they should be until we're burdened and broken, until we're intense about what we're talking to God about. And listen to what he did. For three weeks, I ate only plain and simple food. No seasoning, no meat, no wine. I neither bathed nor shaved until the three weeks were up. Probably lost him a few friends too, don't you imagine? You know, but what, what's happening here, you know, is sometimes when we go to God in prayer, it's just something that we just do, right? We go through the motions, maybe say the same things, pray the same prayer, go with the same lack of emotion. But Daniel was saying, God, this means something to me. This is important to me. I'm going to fast, or at least not use salt and pepper or eat anything good, and I'm not going to drink the wine. So that meant he had that meant he had water. God, this means something to me. I'm not going to shave. I'm not even going to bathe. This is important. And on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the Tigris River. I looked up, and to my surprise, I saw a man dressed in linen with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body was hard and glistening, as if sculpted from a precious stone. I wouldn't mind to look that way, would you guys? Little work to do. His face was radiant. His eyes were bright and penetrating like torches. His arms and his feet were glistening like polished bronze, and his, and his voice, deep and resonant, sounded like a huge choir of voices. I was the only one to see this. The men who were with me, they didn't see it, but they were overcome with fear. They knew there was a presence there, didn't they? And they ran and hid, fearing the worst. I was left alone, abandoned by my friends. Daniel says, I went weak in the knees. The blood drained from my face. Heard his voice. At the sound of it, I fainted. I fell flat on the ground, face in the dirt, and a hand touched me and pulled me back to my hands and knees. Daniel, he said, you're a good man. Listen carefully to my message. Get on your feet. Stand at attention. I've been brought to or sent to bring you news. And as he stood, or as he, as he said this, I stood. Can you just imagine this scene? Think about it. But I was still shaking. The angel said, relax, Daniel. Don't be afraid. From the moment you decided to humble yourself, from the moment you decided to fast, to not shave, to not bathe. From the moment you decided to say, God, I know this is about you, and here's my sacrifice so this can happen. Your prayer was heard. And I set out to come to you, but I was waylaid by the angel prince of the kingdom of Persia. I was delayed for three weeks, and then Michael, one of the chief angel princes, intervened to help me. I left him there 
with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I am here to help you understand what's going to happen to your people. This vision has to do with what lies ahead. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool stuff. Amen? If this bored you and you didn't say amen right there, it's not going to get much better, by the way. All right? If, 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 if Daniel seeing this kind of good-looking angel dude didn't impress you, and, 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 and how he got to Daniel didn't make an impression on you, I don't know if I can make it any clearer. So here's what happens when you pray Genesis prayers, when you have a Genesis moment, when you have a vision like Daniel's or like Herod Beecher Stowe's, when God comes to you and, and you know that something is important and about to happen. First thing is this, there are some things that God will do only in answer to prayer. Now, I think events in our lives, events in our world, happen for many reasons. And we could categorize all of them, but just to break it down and make it simple, there are some things that God does just because He's God. Amen? He, he sees what's happening in the world. He sees those who need a blessing, those who need help. And sometimes God just says, I'm going to move on their life, and he does. There are some things that happen in all of our lives that have no explanation except to say God did it. But there are other things that God allows us the privilege of praying about. There are some things that will never happen in your life, some opportunities that will never come your way, some, some events that will not occur unless you pray about them, unless you plead with heaven about them, unless you call on the name of God about them, there are some things in your life that could be major, miraculous, wonderful things that will never happen unless you pray. So what in essence I'm saying is that you and I have this amazing, amazing gift and responsibility which comes packed with power if we choose to activate it in prayer. And that power is, is so huge that we can literally set in motion the sovereignty of God. Now understand the word sovereignty means again that God's all-knowing, that, that, that God sees everything, hears everything, sets things in motion, that God is sovereign or Lord or boss over this world. And God allows us to play a role in that sovereignty. We can set in motion, we can activate His power in our lives. We can activate his power in other people's lives. There's power in prayer. And I believe that what we see described here in the Scripture and in many, many other places in these Genesis moments is that there are certain prayers, certain things that are so vital, critical, and important in our lives that we pray about, that we really pray about, that we draw a circle around ourselves and come before God and that these prayers 
create events that alter the course of history and that change our lives. Now, you believe that? If you don't believe that, when you pray, you're just going through the motions. If you don't believe that you have the power to move God's heart, why are you talking to Him? If you don't believe that what you say matters, if you take it lightly, if it's not intensified, if it's not personalized, if there is no heart, no, no feeling, no emotion in your prayers, then why are you talking to them? Because those are the kinds of communication that lead God to work miracles. Now you say, you know what, preacher, I read the Bible and Every other page, there's a big miracle there. I don't see God working many miracles where I'm at. Why didn't God do what he used to do in the Bible? I think one of Satan's uh, best tricks is that he blinds our eyes to the power of God, to the miracles of God. I'm in the position where I hear testimony after testimony of changed lives and answered prayers. You saw Brandon in the baptismal pool today. That's a miracle of God. If you don't believe in miracles, just go hang out in the nursery over at the hospital. I know there's a fancy name for it, but I still call it the nursery. Kids born there every day, that's a miracle to me. You get in the car with me and you ride, you pray for a miracle. But in small ways and in big ways, by healing, by changing, by touching, by protecting us, the God of the Bible is still doing what he did in the Bible. Prayers matter. Prayers matter. They make a difference. And you see, I think if you're not, if you're not experiencing those kind of things, if, if you're not seeing God's hand at work in your life, it, it, it just might be because you're not sensitive enough to His Spirit, to what He's saying to you, where He's leading you, that you ever get a word from Him. And on the other side of that bridge, you're not really praying for miracles. You're not really serious about it. Not really important for you. To have one of those Genesis moments where God uses your prayers to bring about great change. Prayers make a difference. Secondly, if you are not aware of the spiritual warfare that hovers around you, that, 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 that the God of the ages is in a battle with the enemy, with Satan himself, If you're not aware of spiritual warfare, then you're completely missing out on what God's doing in your behalf. Let's just start with this foundational thought here. We were born on the battlefield between good and evil. We were born on the battlefield between good and evil. Now, let's just kind of get honest right now, okay? Everybody look this way. I can see you back there in the back. You ever feel like 
that this would be a good description of your life. Some days, I'm a really good human. And I just feel like things are going great in my life, that I'm in touch with God, I'm in touch with my good side, my holy side. I make wise choices. And then other days, you feel like you're broken, you're empty, you're far from God, you're susceptible to sin. You know, if you're like me, it's not days, it kind of changes every 15, 20 minutes, right? You know, you're close to sin, you're far from sin, you've done wrong, you've done right, you feel empowered, you feel weak. That is a result of what? You being fickle? I don't think so. That's a result of spiritual warfare. That's a result of God being in power and sometimes the devil having your ear. And all around us, every day, there are are battles between the forces of evil and the forces of good. There's a battle for your spirit. There's a battle for your attention. There's a battle for your salvation. There is a battle for your eternity between the forces of good and evil. You have trouble getting to church today? That was the devil. Have trouble waking up today? That was the devil. He didn't want you here. He is at work. Now listen to this great piece of news. God contends for you. God's your ally. God's your general. God's your loyal companion. In this battle, God contends for you. Uh, In in Psalms 35, it says it in a very graphic way. David is praying, praying before a battle, praying when the enemy is huge and more powerful. And he says, God, harass these hecklers. God, punch the bullies in the nose. Grab a weapon. Anything at hand, God, contend for me. Stand up for me. Get ready to throw the spear, the javelin, at the people who are out to get me. Reassure me, God. Let me hear your voice. Tell me you'll save me. David realized there was a battle. When the thugs try to knife me in the back. Ever get knifed in the back? Not literally. Make them look foolish. Frustrate those who are plotting my downfall. Make them like cinders in a high wind and God's angel working the fan. I like that, don't you? Make their roads lightless and mud slick with God's angel on their tail. Don't you like the... Can you imagine that? The devil's trying to get your attention. The devil's trying to ruin your life. And here comes God's angel and runs them off. Down in verse 23, I guess David hadn't heard what he wanted to hear so far. So he said, God, wake up. I never thought that was a legitimate prayer to pray. Did you? Hey, God, here I am. Wake up. Tend to my case. My life's on the line. That's an intense prayer, isn't it? 
That's, that's the prayer of someone who knows their life is at risk. That's the prayer uh, of someone who gets the idea that, that if God isn't on their side, they're going to lose. Now, let me tell you this. If you woke up every morning and you realized there was somebody outside your door who wanted to kill you, and somebody outside your door who wanted to protect you, if you knew your life was at risk, if you knew your physical life was on the line, and you had a protector and you had a murderer, you'd pray, wouldn't you? You, wouldn't, you would not hesitate to pray as long as you needed to pray until you felt protected before you walked out your door, would you? You see, if I think if we understood how serious and how important and how crucial it is to win this battle every day, we'd pray in a different way, don't you? I think we would. 1774, the Continental Congress of the United States had, had begun to meet, but they were so, so fearful of, of the power of England and those even in their midst in, 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 in colonial America who would be sympathizers, Tories of England, that when they met, they didn't meet in Liberty Hall, but rather in a darkened place called Carpenter's Hall. Those great men had gathered from every colony, and they began to chart the course that would bring America freedom. Men like Patrick Henry and John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Quakers who were pacifists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians. They didn't invite the Baptists. We were already fighting, I'm sure. And as they plotted the course towards independence, history records that when the men gathered, they prayed. They didn't just have some guy get up on their behalf and pray a quick prayer to a higher power. They prayed. They got down on their knees. There was sweat. There was agony. There was tears. Sometimes they would pray for hours. And they read that verse that I just read to you in Psalm 35. It was the theme many of their meetings. God contend for us. God lead us in this battle. And you know what I believed made our country possible? That these group of men said, God, let us win a battle we have no chance to win. God, let us stand in the truth and on your side. God, give us the freedom as a nation that you've given us as believers. And that those Genesis prayers in a hall in a dark place in Philadelphia altered our world. How long has it been since you've asked God to contend for you, to fight a battle, 
to defeat Satan. To give you courage and strength. To change your life. How long has it been since you said, God, this battle is bigger than me? Because if you try to fight it yourself, if you try to get past sin and temptation yourself, if you try to outfox the devil yourself, you're going to lose. Every person in this room has lost a battle or two, haven't you? Every person in this room has been stupid a time or two. Every person in this room has been defeated and left in the dust because we forgot that God is contending for us. And here's the culmination. Here's here's what happens eventually. You see, I don't think there's any chance that God will not respond to people who pray just like that. I don't think there's any opportunity that God's not listening. No chance. And there comes this what I'll call a breakthrough moment. Sometimes we'll pray that prayer in the circle for days. Sometimes it'll be weeks and months. Sometimes it'll be years. There are people who are part of our congregation who were prayed for for years before they came to Christ. There were battles that people have been fighting in this congregation for years before they're delivered. But someday, if you don't give up, some days, if you never stop caring, someday, if you never stop praying, someday, the miracle will come. Someday the battle will be won. Someday hope, joy, peace, they'll be delivered. So what we're talking about here is not just praying for a season, but praying through it. Praying through the battle, praying through the valley, praying through the heartache, praying through the temptation, praying through and never quitting when it seems God isn't listening. Praying with faith and expectation. Showing God. Now listen to me. Wouldn't hurt a whole lot of us to fast a little. Showing God we're serious. Wouldn't hurt some of us can't grow beards. Ladies, I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't want anyone in here not to bathe for three weeks. But show God you're serious. Show God it matters to you. Have a sanctified, stubborn streak. And pray it through. Pray it through. Haven't seen a miracle in a while. Haven't felt the power of God for a while. Matter of fact, maybe you feel like Satan's won the battle in your life. You feel discouraged, defeated, depressed, and you don't know where to turn, let me tell you. 
Let me tell you, God's still on the throne. God's still answering prayers. God's still changing hearts and lives. God's changing circumstances. God is bringing life out of death. Hope out of sorrow. God is still listening to the cry of his people. And he's still moving. My prayer is that he'll move in your life because it matters to you. You desperately want it. And that every single one of you at some point in your life as a response to prayer will be able to stand and testify, I was here and now I'm there. I was broken and now I'm healed. I was lost and now I'm found. I'd never seen anything that looked like a miracle. And now I'm one. (laughs) Amen? Now I'm one. I want to ask you to stand with me right now. I want us to pray like that right now. And, and, And I know that in a crowd this size, there are some of you who are very timid. Some of you who are a little bit uh, hesitant to talk to a stranger. But here's what I want you to do. If you're not comfortable with this, just hide your head in your hands and nobody will talk to you. Just ask your neighbor a simple question. What can I pray about in your life? What can I pray about in your life? Before you do that, I want you to remember that I asked at the beginning, forgot to reiterate this last week, but you're going to hear it again and again, that I want us as a congregation to draw a circle around ourselves and pray for three things. The first is that 100 people over the next year, 100 people will come to Christ in this place. Never forget that one. Secondly, we're 20-some thousand dollars behind in our budget. And we're not behind because we... uh, have a money problem we're behind because we have a giving problem maybe a heart problem and ask God to cause us to be generous cause us to be faithful cause us to want to give to see his kingdom be advanced and number three to pray for each other that's why you're going to talk to each other because I don't know what to pray about for Paul looks like about anything would help him but I want to know specifically I want you to know. And I can't help but believe if this many people and others who will be in other services are praying for those things that we're going to see miracles, don't you? Amen. So take a moment, get your information, and then I'm going to call us to prayer. Quietly, reverently, let's bow our heads and talk to God about our friends, ourselves, our church. Let's pray with passion. Let's pray with a power that only God can give.
as Satan, his legion of angels, are silenced in fear. Every prayer from a broken heart to God is a knife in Satan's heart. Father, there's a battle around us, a battle for our soul, a battle for our attention. We may not have seen the bullets, but we've been wounded. And in our time of desperation, we fall on our knees before you. Father, bring a miracle. Do something in the life of our church. Do something in our lives, Father, that only you can do. Father, you know every heart, every broken place of everyone in this room. We offer them to you. Jesus, who sits by your side, interceding for us. Amen. This is invitation time. Invitation to fall on your knees at this altar. Invitation to share communion thanking God for His grace. An invitation to hope, to believe again salvation. Whatever you feel like you're lacking, you can find here this morning.